Hello and welcome to PE Talks Africa, a podcast series by the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. I'm your host, Yossi Olaleye, Marketing and Communications Manager at AFCA. This episode is the first in a series of conversations we're having with AFCA members in the run-up to the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26. We explore and highlight how fund managers and stakeholders in the African private investment industry are actively contributing to the global action to mitigate climate challenges and risk. We are delighted to be joined by Lisa Pinsley and Matthew McCollum, both of whom are directors at Actis, a leading global investment firm focused on sustainable infrastructure. We will be discussing energy and digital infrastructure in Africa. Matthew, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us today. Very well, thanks, Yossi, and, and thanks very much for having us um, join the podcast. It's Matt McCollum here, director based in, based in Johannesburg, uh, been with Actors for 10 years. Um, yeah, and it's great, great to join you. And likewise, um, great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. This is Lisa Pinsley. I'm based here in Cape Town, and I um, look forward to speaking with you. Wonderful. So let's just jump straight into the conversation, and we're going to start by talking about COVID-19 very exciting. So the pandemic disrupted many industries uh, in 2020, but technology and digital services thrived throughout this time. So what is your view on the impact of the health crisis on the energy sector and digital infrastructure in Africa? And just on the other side of that, what are some of the opportunities that the pandemic provided for the businesses that Actis um, invest in? So do you want to start on that, Lisa? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Maybe I'll speak from the the energy side and then hand over to Matt for the um, for digital and and other industries. Um, I think what we saw through the pandemic, um, you know, this is across Africa for us, across the world, uh, because you know we invest um, across uh, emerging markets at Actis, is that infrastructure was a very resilient asset class. Um, you know, we need and specifically on power. No matter whether we have lockdown or no lockdown, we need power. Hospitals need power. Government needs power, um, and uh, and all these industries were considered essential services and continued. So while we saw in many markets, including South Africa, a very temporary drop in power demand, um, it was quite temporary, um, and it's already back to pre-COVID levels. Um, the need for energy. Has not subsided, and, and in fact, in the in the growth afterwards has increased. Um, we had nine projects in construction across Africa during the pandemic. So each one in each country had a bit of a different um, delay or issue. Um, for example, in South Africa, we had the hard lockdown, and so we had to demobilize the construction projects for a few weeks. But then they were back on track. Um, in other countries, such as Kenya, where we're building a wind project. Uh, which relies a little bit more on expatriate advisory services. Those expatriates left the country for a few weeks, and then we were able to bring them back. But construction actually never stopped because there was no lockdown. So besides the temporary blips, all of which are covered under contractual protections, on the power side, um, you know, it was quite resilient through the through the pandemic, and providing power um, to to the different countries was was so important to us. Um, yeah, maybe I'll stop there and hand over to Matt on digital. Cool, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, 
I mean, from a from a digital infrastructure point of view, again, we were more on the beneficiary side of of the pandemic. Obviously, many industries and some of our portfolio companies in SA in, in Africa were badly impacted, but certainly we were um, we were a beneficiary. And this primarily primarily due to many many consumers on the continent spending more time at home, not spending you know not going into work. And on the back of that, so is this real explosion of data consumption for Zooming, for Netflixing, et cetera. Uh, so, so over that COVID period, we have, you know, from an actor's perspective, we have uh, two digital infrastructure assets on the continent. We have a data center uh, platform based in Nigeria, and we have a fiber to the home business in South Africa. And both experienced strong growth over that period, really on the back of this data consumption. So in South Africa, consumers were phoning, inundating the call center at Octotel, uh, to get new fiber connections, they needed high-speed bandwidth to to be able to connect with their work colleagues. And we're on the recipients uh, recipients of that. And equally, from a data center perspective, some of our key clients, such as MNOs, needed more storage space for uh, to 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 handle that that data that has been created and consumed. So overall, yeah, net beneficiaries. There were, as Lisa mentioned, on the energy side, there were parts of the businesses. Uh, such as our build-out teams, you couldn't get into, um, you couldn't trench over those hard lockdown periods. You couldn't get into customers' homes, but that really was a, a short-term impact. And certainly on the demand side, c- customers wanting faster and and, and 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 bigger bandwidth. We certainly were a recipient of that. Thanks, Etienne. Back to you. No, no, very interesting. Good to know that uh, from the sounds of it, things were very positive for Actis and its portfolios and partners over the, the last 18 months, which is exciting. So let's just move on a bit to talk about the data center platform. So I know that last year Actis established um, the data center platform worth, the Pan-African one worth a $250 million, I think Rack Center it's called. So it's fair to say that that market is rapidly growing and as you said um, Matt you know there was an explosion of people requesting uh, a better connection so how 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 does Actis plan on really taking advantage of these this new demand over the past sort of 12 to 18 months and in relation to that you know the SDGs are continuously important for a lot of people in the industry and you know how is Axis also thinking about meeting the environmental and climate related SDGs while addressing the demand for um, connectivity? Yeah sure yes so just just some background into our investment at Rack Center this was our overall ambition here is to create a a pan-African a data center platform and Rack Center was the first acquisition in that platform. So we've committed $250 million. Um, the Rack Center was smaller than that, but it was a key anchor asset in the platform. Um, and as, as you rightly say, the demand for co-location um, and carrier neutral co-location facilities in, in Africa is is massive. There is a, it is hugely underpenetrated compared to the developed market. Um, there is you know one billion consumers on the African continent. Um, there's many, many undersea cables and capacity which is la- which is landing on the African continent, which is bringing content to those consumers, and so is the need for for storage. Um, there's just obviously big big trends for uh, businesses and and consumers like ourselves to store information in the cloud. So I think the demand for data centers and cloud storage is going to continue to grow for for the foreseeable future, and we really want to play a part in that. Um, so that was really the overall. You know, investment thesis behind our investments in Rack Center. But as you, as you rightly say, there are businesses with 
um, you know, which are which are power hungry. Um, if you look at our rack center business, you know, it consumes significant quanti- quantums of energy. Um, and this is something that, that is front and center from us in all of our data center developments from, from Nigeria through to South Korea and, and China. I think just giving you an example of, of what we have done in rack center and, and just trying to improve the, the, the carbon footprint, that was, a, that was a, a facility that was completely reliant on diesel to generate its power. Over the initial stages of our investment, we really started to trans, um, transfer that energy source from diesel into, into natural gas. And this is really a first step into trying to make it a more um, a re- a renewable energy focused power source. And I think the real benefit from an actor's perspective is that we are able to leverage the likes of, of Lisa and her team in really thinking through um, how do we create a more sustainable power source and a more um, uh, impactful power source than, than what many of these data centers currently use. So it's a very exciting place. Um, the energy consumption piece of it is, is front and center for us. Um, but I think we are in a, we're very well placed just given our, our experience with, with, with that particular sector and the combination of the two, um, I think is very powerful. That's interesting. Uh, Lisa, do you, do you have anything to add on sort of the, uh, I guess, the transition to clean energy in, uh, in Africa specifically? What, what is your view on the challenges around implementing sort of renewable energy sources in, in day-to-day activities? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Yasi. Um, I guess a, a few points. I mean, first, we're seeing a, a huge um, increase in the amount of t- activity on the on the commercial and industrial side. So those are the smaller power plants that are connected either directly um, to users, like we have on on our some of our real estate um, and digital assets. Um, we have traditionally played in the utility scale space, so doing very large scale power plants that sell to ESCOM or other utilities. Um, But more and more with the regulatory changes like here in South Africa with the announcement of um, no generation license needed up to 100 megawatts, this will facilitate a significant increase in investment um, uh, in in those types of projects, most of which would be renewables. I think that will be a, a huge facilitator of the energy transition here in Africa, and we'd like to play a part in that. Um, one of the constraints that we see, uh, and we're, we're kind of coming up on this in the utility side, but it will affect the, the, uh, the commercial industrial too, are the, the grid constraints. So what we've seen here in South Africa, for example, is that it's, you know, the highest irradiation is in the Northern Cape, but traditionally, because there isn't a lot of population and demand in the Northern Cape, the transmission lines within the ESCOM grid um, aren't built in such large quantity that it, it can export a lot of new power from the Northern Cape to where the demand centers are in Gauteng and Western Cape. Um, and so there's a lot of projects that are under development and ready um, to be built in that area, but not enough grid to actually export the power. Um, and uh, and the same is true in other countries around around Africa. If you, you might know, have heard of the Turkana Wind Project, um, which is 400 kilometers from Nairobi and required um, a large new transmission line, which took years to build. Uh, but the wind there is just incredible. Um, and so this this uh, this renewable resource, whether it's hydro or wind or solar or geothermal, is often not located near where the demand is. And I see that as being one of the critical barriers to increasing renewable supply 
um, as fast as possible. Because the other problem behind that is generally in around Africa, um, the grid is still owned by the government or a government-owned entity. And so it makes financing new grid um, more time-consuming and more difficult because a lot of governments are in fiscal distress from the pandemic or, or other reasons. Um, and that, that really is going to become one of the, the big constraints to, to the energy transition going forward. That's an interesting perspective, and particularly I want to pick on what you said about, you know, the fact that it's mostly owned, the grid is mostly owned by the governments, and so it makes it more time consuming. So is there a role for other private sector players, so investors, fund managers, and other stakeholders to work together to potentially uh, make this transition not faster but slightly easier given I mean we all know how governments work but is there a role for the private sector in sort of accelerating this transition so to speak? Absolutely I think there could be and and for example Actis is um, investing in transmission lines in Latin America at the moment but it it does depend on the government allowing some regulatory change to allow more private sector investment in the grid. So that in itself will take time. Once that happens, I think it will open up. Seen it a little bit more now in the regional power pools. So the South African power pool, um, which is just opening up really for actual trade. Um, and, And if this can be fast forwarded, I think that will definitely catalyze the energy transition and it is happening in other places so we would love to we'd love to invest in it um because for now for example to, to get back to you know the the great regulatory change of the 100 megawatts um uh um generation license requirement dropping away now unless you have the space whether on your rooftop um if you're you know a large facility or a mine um, that has a lot of extra land if you um, if you need to build that solar plant somewhere 100 kilometers away, where it's sunnier or or somewhere, then you need at the moment to connect through ESCOM to wheel that power. Um, and uh, and first, then that relies that there is capacity on the line to do that, as we talked about before, and that the a commercial agreement with ESCOM on the price of wheeling that power is reasonable. And then still makes sense for the the company actually buying that power, um, because if that wheeling charge goes up considerably because of, you know, uh, it's very competitive, then they might as well just sit there and buy from ESCOM. So those are the, some of the dynamics. But if, if the private sector was allowed to get into the business of, of developing and constructing um, transmission lines, I think that would open up opportunity for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So um, this is, I, I'm interested, you know, COP is coming up soon. And so far, personally, I'm not sort of seeing a lot of people talk about where Africa stands in the conversations around COP26. So in, in your view, what do you expect to see come out of the, the COP conference from an Africa perspective? So I think one thing that's really important uh, from the Africa perspective is not to draw hard lines on the use of gas in the um, in in the continent's energy mix. I think um, we all agree, well, actually that's not true. We don't all agree, but <laughs> we 
many of us agree that that the that the future for coal um, is very limited. Um, however, I think some of the Europeans and American policymakers are asking that we don't do any more gas power as well. Um, and I think that's a difficult one in the medium term for Africa, um, because as they look to increase their amount of renewables, they also need to continue to have base load power options. So power plants that go sort of steady state and don't go up or down on whether it's windy or, or, or sunny, right? So, so the renewables tend to be intermittent or if it's a hydro, you know, the, the, you might have um, uh, very rainy years or not rainy years. So you, you do need things that provide base load power. This can be nuclear, this can be coal, this can be gas, or increasingly, we can use battery storage um, uh, to, to help with that intermittency and create a baseload-like environment. But until then, um, we can't grow only on renewables. Um, and, and in fact, if you, if you don't use gas in the next, say, five to 10 years, I think in 30 years, we'll be okay without these thermal sources. But in the next five to 10 years, if you don't, um, I think you can actually slow down both energy access for all the people who don't even have access to power right now and the energy transition itself, because there's only so much renewables you can build without the, the base load or the storage alongside. So I do, I know there's been a lot of discussion between European and American and African governments about exactly what the rules should be going forward for Africa, because Africa has about 2% of the emissions worldwide. Um, and, and so the strategies employed in Europe or other parts of Asia or, or America should be different than what, what, what's happening here um, in Africa. So I think that's kind of one of the hot topics, but also secondary is how can, you know, Western um, European or American resources or multilateral resources be used in Africa to speed up that transition. I think we'll see some announcements coming um, on that front as well. Great. Thank you, Lisa. Matt, do you have any anything to add on that topic? Uh, nothing for me. I think Lisa covered it very well. Great. So let's bring the conversation back to digital infrastructure. So Matt, you already touched on some of the trends that we saw during the pandemic that led to um, a rapid uh, increase in demand. But are there other trends, particularly from consumers, that you think will drive investment in digital infrastructure? Um, I think, I mean, if you take a step back in terms of where Africa is and just internet penetration, sure, there was a, a very strong demand for, for data and connectivity during the pandemic, but it still is a, a continent that is very underpenetrated from a broadband perspective. So I think the overarching trend is to see further penetration um, into the into the consumer market in in Africa, um, and there are obviously some inherent restrictions or um, difficulties in the market. You know, mobile has obviously had its place um, in in replacing or completely usurping fixed in infrastructure, but the, the likes of fiber um, provide such quality um, infrastructure that you know in in many instances is cheaper and superior to to a mobile offering. So I really think it's that penetration plus you just have technology that is inferior to deliver the speeds and, and bandwidth that is required, and that naturally will provide the tailwind for, for infrastructure development on the continent. 
but there are there are obviously hurdles. Each market is very specific, regulatory environments, um, ease of doing business, and these are things we, you know we have to navigate as investors. But I certainly think it's a it's a very strong opportunity ahead of us in Africa, um, just to increase that that internet penetration to to many other consumers. Great. So let's talk about um, portfolio companies and supporting them to sort of implement ESG principles. What is Actis's approach in ensuring that the portfolio companies are thinking about the various factors across environmental, social and governance? And, you know, how do you prepare portfolio companies for exit? Uh, should I, I'll start on this one. I, I think for, as a start of a 10, this is a, a fundamental principle that, that Actus brings um, to any new investment. Um, and we do have, a, a you know, in any shareholders agreement or, or any agreement, we have alignment on these specific, on, on an ESG topic. So typically what we do in our portfolio companies is set up an ESG committee, which is a subcommittee of the board with a, with a strict mandate and many, um, many criteria to meet. I think from an actor's perspective, we do have um, an impact scorecard where we do try and measure very accurately in terms of what impact we are making in various forms in that business. Um, and that becomes you know, a key part of the reporting and the, the way that the business um, operates. So if you take for an example in, in our food lovers market business based in South Africa, we really have tried to reduce the carbon footprint by replacing all the old inefficient fridges and reducing our consumption of electricity and this has been a, been a something that we've, we've measured in terms of kilowatts um, consumed. And we've seen a, a strong improvement over the, over the life of our investments. And I think that's very pleasing. So we do come in there with a, from day one with, with a mandate to our new partners or shareholders and, or, or management team that this is important to us and important to drive value. You know, the, the, the mantra values drive value. Um, and it's certainly something that, that we live and breathe um, in, in our everyday interactions with the, with the portfolio company. Absolutely. Lisa, did you have something to add on there? Yeah, thanks, Yasem. I think Matt covered um, our approach in general and how important it is to us. I mean, I, I joined Actis five years ago from other companies in Africa in the same sector. Uh, and I was honestly floored with how sort of critical ESG was to Actis's investment process. And it wasn't a check the box kind of activity as it is at many places. I mean, often when we, if we buy companies, you'll see in board reports, it's like a one page ESG report, no ESG subcommittee. Um, the person they've hired for ESG is somebody um, I'd say, you know, pretty junior. And um, it's, it's a bit of an afterthought. We put it really central to our investment process. And I mean, I've seen, you know, the head of sustainability sits on our investment committee and, uh, and, and that could be, sustainability could be a reason we don't do a deal, but it doesn't mean we shy away from sustainability challenges. And, and I just wanted to give one example, um, this, this wind project in Kenya, for example, the Capetta wind project. When we came in in 2017, um, it was a project under development but there was a lot of um, uh, there were a lot of issues in, in that sort of human wildlife conflict because um, the project is is uh, has about seventy different Maasai landowners, um, but it un unfortunately was developed 
you know, 25 kilometers, which is a short distance <laughs> from um, certain certain species of vultures, which have been downgraded to critically endangered, not because of wind farms or 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 infrastructure projects, um, but but actually because of, of the common practice in in the region of um, farmers poisoning carcasses to kill predators, which end up killing hundreds of vultures at a time. And we actually worked with the community, with all the biodiversity NGOs um, and the Kenyan wildlife um, services, the, the, the sort of the government entities in, in charge of it, to come to a solution where the project could move forward. Uh, and it was a net positive for biodiversity, including the vultures in the area. Um, and this is, this is one example on biodiversity, but you'll see that throughout, whether it's community, um, oftentimes in our projects, the communities own a portion of the project. Um, or in South Africa, where economic and social development programs are kind of codified into the renewables program. But, but throughout our investments, it is, it is core. Um, and we don't see it as detracting from value, but as Matt said, values drive value. So it actually creates value. And when people come to buy our investments, they know and factor in that, um, that aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, value, values drive value. I think that's Actis's slogan, or it was for a while, I think a couple of years ago. So I remember that. Well, very interesting conversation. So to round up on a fun note, I'd like to ask all of our guests, you know, so what is the one thing that you love and enjoy about investing in Africa? Matt, can you go first? I think there's one one way to explain it is dynamic and and volatile, but I, I think that brings the opportunity. It's um, it's an ever-changing place. There's considerable growth. There is there is uh, considerable risks, and navigating those is, is always um, always a, an incredible mental challenge. But um, it is a it's a, it's in a very very exciting place to be. Lovely, Lisa. Yeah, I mean, I would say if I could say two things, I think the first is I love that what we do builds economies and um, and it really is additive, I think, to, to what's going on in Africa. That's important to me. Um, but day to day, what I love are the very broad range of people that surround every deal. And whether it, it's the employees in the company you're buying or the government officials or your technical advisor going with you on a site visit in Uganda. It's just um, the partners you have in the companies, it's, that brings it to life for me. And, um, and I enjoy those, those long Zoom calls now. I prefer to in person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I love the, just the, the broad range of people that you get to meet with and work with every day. It um, keeps things alive. I love that response. So, um, yeah, that's that's really great. Thank you both so much for joining us today. It's really interesting to hear about all the exciting things that and the value that Actis is adding to portfolio companies and the those two industries on the continent. What what can we expect to see from Actis over the next say twelve months? I, I mean, I think you'll see us doing more of what we already do. Um, across energy infrastructure, digital infrastructure. Um, you know, I think we have um, significant 
funds throughout our, our, our different um, asset classes to keep on investing more um, in, uh, in what we already know and do well. And we see that, that opportunity expanding. Great. Thank you so much, Lisa. Um, thank you, Matt, as well, for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been fun, Yasi. Thank you. Thanks, Yasi. Thanks very much. It's been great to join. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about what we do at Africa, please visit our website at www.abca-africa.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to keep up with the latest news and updates in the private equity and venture capital industry in Africa.